So you want to be a dungeon master? That's great. We're here to help. I'm Taylor. I'm Justin. This week, we're going to be covering the basics of how to prepare a D&D session, going over everything you might need for a fun game. Like, who's going to bring the fresh... Actually, that's right. I'm sorry to say, but Fresca, while still big fans of the podcast, are no longer sponsors of my presidential campaign. But enough of that. We're going to go over... Wait, hold on. You can't just... Hey, I I am going to glaze right over it. We're going to go over world building, NPCs, plot devices, and more. Is this about the comments in the last episode? Legally, I have no idea what you're... I'm going to say... I don't recall. Sure. All right. I don't recall. I knew, we, I knew it. I'm, I'm just going to say, I called it in the moment. And I don't recall. This isn't to say that I'm not open. I'm open to new sponsors. <laughs> I'm available. I'm single and ready to mingle. <laughs> so if you're a beverage out there and you're looking I for mean, representation. Really? <laughs> all right. I'm your person. Maybe just take it as a sign, man. President might, you know, go. Things like are going senator. up. Things are looking up. And. I mean, from Fresca, for things to go up, wow. Who, who'd have thunk it? But first, <laughs> but first <laughs> yep. what are your favorite ways to start a session? Like the classical, you all meet in a tavern, or uh, what do you think? I mean, I've done that. It's a, it's a that. tried and true. It's an easy way to do it if it you're not definitely. trying to like overwhelm the new players. Or something like that. In mm-hmm. the right scenario, it's perfect. It really is. Uh, it's like it can get cliche for experienced players. Mm-hmm. It's what kind of why I stray away from it. Um, what I will generally do is in session zero, we're gonna decide where we're gonna start as a group. Mm. Um, using backstories and all that stuff, I'll we'll figure out some way to tie everybody together to kind of jump into the action first thing whether that be combat or you know it's generally some form of an rp at the beginning uh, for the most part but usually we'll have something to where like they're on the road heading somewhere together or they're you know in a town that such and they're trying to find like some MacGuffin and that type of deal but i mean a tavern is you know it's classic yeah absolutely I know I like doing all different kinds of stuff, switching it up, making it feel fresh and new. It depends on like that during session zero, I'll definitely always go over like how the characters met and a lot of that kind of session one stuff. But Mm -hmm. every once in a while I will spring it on them. I did that once with a a game where I I didn't necessarily tell them that we were going to have the entire game kickstart with combat. Right. Like right from the jump. It was like, all right, everybody, welcome to the game. I'll do an intro of the, like, setting. Like, mm-hmm. it was a crisp t- Tuesday morning in October on Dreary Lane or, what, you know, whatever the hell. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then combat, roll for initiative. And then when we went down initiative, I let the person describe what they were going to do for their turn. And then I would re-describe it and turn it into some sort of flashback TV dream sequence where I would go into a little bit of backstory about how that character got here in the start of combat and their 
Okay. Something with specific with their class. Like one of them was a warlock, so I had them do, have like a little vision to their patron. Or one of them was a monk, so it was like a little thing of training with their sensei. But so then I kind of, I because I do like doing that. I take that out of uh, like the Brendan Lee Mulligan handbook of doing the yeah, character intros good. as like little yeah, vignettes. It's, it's nice. I haven't done that before, but I definitely am probably going to do it on my next one because it is a great way to get everybody involved in their stories right off the bat. Yeah, for sure. Gives everybody a nice little moment to shine in the beginning. But yeah, I also, I just like switching it up, trying new things. I, the tavern is perfect for a simple one shot, not trying to waste too much time. Get right to it, you know? But like, Sometimes you could have the one shot or the, you know, campaign even start. Okay. You guys are all meeting in different prison cells and the, your first thing is getting out of prison or you're on a train and it's being robbed. You have to work together. Boom. You met, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's so many mm-hmm. possibilities. Like you guys all wake up in a room together. You've been chloroformed. You don't know who, you, what your names are and you're in a room and there's a dead That's body. That's a code one. I've dun, definitely dun, dun, dun. done that one before. <laughs> yeah. The, Hey, you guys just woke up in a room and you're all strapped to tables. Now what? <laughs> now what? That's what I mean. There's so many no, possibilities. You don't have any weapons. Are you kidding me? You, I just told you, you're strapped to a table. You probably don't even have clothes on right now. There's so many possibilities. <laughs> And I have, I have one, I have a really big one that I'm going to keep in the barrel for later when we talk about monsters and NPCs and adding them to your game. Because mm-hmm. it's right around, like, NPCs are part of world building. It helps flesh out the world, gives you an opportunity to lore dump or propel the story. It can be yeah, so useful in a number of ways. But I have one that I just discovered in the Planescape new books from uh, Wizards of the Coast, and it's, it's a juicy one, and I'm excited to share it. Yeah? It's a juicy well, one. <laughs> but speaking of monsters, <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. what is uh, what would you say mm-hmm. is your favorite monster <laughs> to run? Or maybe for a specifically like a, a new DM? So I saw this, and I've been looking at this on the outline for a couple of days uh-huh. now. Um, it's not one specific monster, but more like a group of monsters. Okay that I think are good for a new DM to run. And that's goblins because they are, you've got not only your heavy hitter types that have like beefy tanks that you can throw at your players, but also they, there are goblin spellcasters, Um, and it kind of gives you. And the other thing is that they're intelligent. A lot of times when the, like at the lower levels and stuff, you have your uh, party fighting, like, beasts and animals and stuff like that. And they're not necessarily smart, like uh, as far as like a human intelligence. Right. So you can kind of really, if you want to be realistic, not, you can't really play them as if they could, you know, recognize a healer and then focus a healer or anything like that. Like they, they, cause animals don't think like that. Yeah. But with goblins, you can, you can get that tactical aspect of things as well as, like I said, you know, you've got your melees and your range all there. So you can kind of really build a solid challenging encounter that covers all your bases and the stat blocks are really easy. Um, you know, and it's, you know, if you need to make the encounter harder, just throw more goblins in there for sure. And 
Let me ask you this. When you're running a group of goblins, let's just, I'm going to pick a round number. Let's say there's six goblins. And Mm -hmm. do you roll them all one initiative? Do they all go at the same turn? Or do you roll six different initiatives? What do you do? So I'm used to running with six players. So six goblins is not going to stand. For sure. No, for sure. That encounter, that encounter, yeah. But just for easy numbers. I will generally (laughs) do, for for easy numbers, I think... In a group of six, I'd break it down to three initiative rolls. I'd have three groups of two that would go. Okay. I'd break. I, I yeah. I generally will break up. I won't have just like an enemy's turn and then the player's turn. It'll be okay. Well, this is group A is going. Group B is going. Group C is going. And then you know when I'm in a battle where I've got thirty enemies it's happened, there's five or six groups. Okay, that makes sense. That's a good idea. Yeah, I usually try and split it up to where, like, each, if there's three different types of bad guys, so, like, one, you know, some of them are skeletons, some of them are goblins, yeah. some of them are zombies, then it's like, I'll split them yeah, up. I'll do and that too. Be like, all the goblins go at once, all the skeletons go at once. Easier mm-hmm. to look at those stat blocks all at the same time than having to flip between yeah. a ton. Easier to keep track of which tokens have need to go and haven't gone because, like, what I do on roll twenty is I will assign. I will actually put their assigned group in one of the little dots. Like they'll have they have when you click on a token, um, it'll pop three dots up above it, like a red one, a yellow one, and a blue one, or a red one, a green one, and a blue one. Um, the red one is their group, the green one is their HP, and the blue one is their AC. And that way, all my stuff is right there. So when somebody says, I'm attacking this thing, I can just click on it and go, okay, that's how much I have all the information I need on it right there. There you go. You're ready to go. (laughs) So for me, my answer to this in terms of a good monster for uh, new DMs, I'm going with the Mephit. Are you familiar? Mephit. It's like a fire imp, right? It's an elemental. And... There's a bunch of different kinds of them. Okay. All of them can kind of be thought of as you're familiar with, obviously, the four planes of like elemental shit, right? There's yeah, the plane of like air, air fire. fire, water, earth. Well, if you think of the any of those two, think of them like Venn diagrams and like they cross over. Okay. So, like when you cross over earth and water, you get mud. Okay. And there's a mud method. So, okay. it's a little flying imp looking thing that is made of mud if you do fire and air there's a smoke one okay Uh, fire and water there's steam dust ice magma so like i'll pull up the magma one they're dope each one's a little bit different but it's just like a cool thing you can flavor it as so many different things like for example i've used the smoke methods i had a fight where um the party went inside of a smoke shop, like a cigar shop in the city. And it was just called Fumar, Fumar del Tigre, which is just smoke of the tiger in Spanish. And they had mm-hmm. to wear complimentary smoking jackets. And they entered the, 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 the like club lounge. And sure enough, that's where they found their target. They started a fight with him, but not before he took a big drag of a cigar. And I just repeat it and like oh he summons a bunch of smoke methods and then it was a dope little fight because each one has like 
they're they have like claw attacks and like simple things like that but some of them also have like a really little amount of spell casting or they have even things like a death burst where if you kill it it explodes into like lava in this case of the magma method so many cool mm-hmm. things they have like breath weapons just like a dope little monster and they're to like fit into yeah. so many different uh environments because of how many different kinds there are mm-hmm. and they're like all in the monster manual what's the cr uh it ranges from one quarter to one half so it's very much a beginner okay. kind of thing but you Real throw in a couple stuff. of them on, alongside mm-hmm. something that's a little bit bigger like i had like a they were yeah, fighting next that's... to like a level i want to say a level eight barbarian minotaur oh jeez, like the bad guy okay and right and then you've got a bunch of these little i had four or five little shit smoke methods which are one quarter and they had the ability to like breathe smoke and ash and it would uh blind people nice and nice. it's on a recharge status effects yeah exactly and it was like a small room so like when they did it it was like easy to hit people with it and stuff like that and it they could fly, so they're moving around the room. Um, yeah, when you're a DM, it's all about balancing everything. And, like, I obviously have the Barbarian, but he's going to be all close combat. He's going to try and get in as close as possible. But if they surround him, then it's kind of fucked. I need to give them another target. Well, they're in a smoke lounge. What kind of smoke creatures can I do? Bingo. Smoke method. It's nice. It's, uh, that's a good one. I haven't really looked into them. I'll probably have to use start uh, using them at the lower levels. They're really cool, even for like an RP thing, mm-hmm. just like as like a thing that's around. Yeah. Like if you're in the plane of fire, you can throw in a steam method. Hmm. Like if you're fucking, I mean, I can use the monster even to do world building. We're gonna get into the meat of the episode in a second, but right. like a steam method, you could have there be like a bathhouse where like the leader of a gang is meeting. And, like, the bathhouse has, like, a ton of these steam method, methods, like, rolling around, flying around. And yeah, because like that's where they would be. And yeah. Hell boom. yeah. Like, bro. <laughs> mud bro. methods. You could have mud baths. It's so bro, a simple. A whole fucking spa based around two creatures that we just found in the monster manual. It's so simple. That's world building, baby. <laughs> that's world building. Just find, hey, there's steam here. <laughs> Steam methods go with the steam. Exactly. Bang, bang. Dude. The story writes itself, you guys. I know. Tell me that's not so, <laughs> like, spirited away. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Definitely got some Miyazaki vibes. Speaking of Miyazaki, dude, let's get into some world building. Oh, man. freaking master. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so world building. What? What is- the heck? <laughs> What is that thing? That word you keep saying. <laughs> world. World building. Be build. Well, build. Building. Building. <laughs> gotcha. So, yeah, you're building the world. Uh, it's like a gigantic umbrella <sighs> term for the responsibility. One of the responsibilities of the dungeon master and or game master. You're creating the world. So... Mm-hmm. Your players are responsible for each controlling a character and they will in turn affect the world that their character can reach. But there's much of the world that their character hasn't reached yet or will never reach. That's you. <laughs> That's you. Yeah. You're creating the world. That's You're all creating you. everything 
that you're creating the environments that shape the characters in the first place. And they will then, in fact, shape your world a little bit later on. But first, world building. I mean... World building, yeah. It, we can start off as simple as it's where and when the story like we're just throwing takes. buzzwords out right now. Throw buzzwords out. <laughs> Throw them out. Synergy. World building. NPC. Plot. <laughs> Sorry, it's all good. I I, I was I was gonna be I, I'm practicing for my TED talk. Oh, you have a TED talk coming up? No way, not a chance. All right. Well, if you ever do, get me a mm-hmm. yeah uh, comps comp tickets for sure for sure. So yeah, where and when does the story take place? Kind of like the setting. Let's start there, I suppose, because it's like I guess when I'm world building and I'm thinking, okay, time to get into it. I think the most immediate surface level thought is where Mm. and when does the story take place yeah like you can get into like the deeper things of like but it's like what kind of story do i want to tell dude like what what morals do i want my characters to learn dude like yeah that's all yeah great and i love it so much but let's just think so surface level like as deep as a puddle (laughs) a puddle that you step in and you don't even get wet that's as deep yeah, as we're going. Like, Where and when does the story take place? Yeah, it's, I mean, that's basically the the biggest part getting started is, are you going to run a modern day setting in like an urban, or like an urban setting or something like that? Or are you going to do like a fantasy urban setting? Are you going to do a little combination of like some medieval, you know, like rural stuff and then the towns are really super sophisticated or like something along those lines. But really it all starts from, you know, when and where, like, is it going to be in the mountains and the river on the water? You got to pick something. And the setting, because we're talking about D and D and we're talking about fifth edition and magic often comes into play deities, these grand fantastical adventures it kind of goes so far beyond just the most simple version of where and when. Like, if you were to write a novel about, like, human characters and you're like, where and when, you're thinking, like, okay, maybe it takes place in, I don't know, Puerto Rico in the 1200s. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> it's D&D, dude. You can go so far where you're like, everybody is hedgehogs. And we live yeah. in hedgehog town and this is hedgehog town we're being attacked by beavers and (laughs) uh that's where the clerics come in and that could be your whole story of where and when that's when it takes place is when the beavers attack the hedgehog town and where is it it's in hedgehog town i mean it writes itself it does so simple but no it uh, yeah, really... I mean, it's how much magic is there in the town if you're trying to tell a specific type of story or something. Like, Lord of the Rings doesn't have a ton of magic. It has plenty of monsters, and there is magic, of course, right? But it's, right. Not, like, it's not like every character is just slinging spells, right? Like, most of the characters are quite magic-less. And even <laughs> the one wizard does not do a bunch of magic. He does, like, big magic once or yeah. twice. But right? he exactly. doesn't do like a ton of magic. Yeah, exactly. There's no revivify in in uh no. rings. So no, no, definitely it's not. It's very different. So like, yeah, how much magic is there in the world? How much technology? 
um that those can kind of play into the when like are you going prehistoric times where there's no technology and it's very survivally like a lot of these answers to this question of where and when does the story take place are going to inform so much about potentially the plot the bad guys which npcs you fill the world with and it'll inform your world building from here because you know if you're going even at like a vibe like if you're like oh i want to do like sherlock holmes london vibes then it's like that's an amazing starting place that's a good one. go on pinterest or yeah. some crap and like type in things just for visual like to get into the mindset go to youtube type in sherlock holmes playlist and some sh- shit will come on and it's like <laughs> get into it you know yeah <laughs> and then just start naming things that's how i start i'm like all right what's the name of the town can't be London unless you want to have like it be a different version of London or in other yeah. timeline or like it's London, London Sherlock Holmes, but everyone's everyone are tigers. <laughs> oh, there you go. Just make everybody be rogues, man. Everybody's rogues. A uh, rogue all everybody's party. That would be all rogues. Wild. Oops, all rogues. Oops, all rogues. Pickpocket competitions. So many charlatans. Mm-hmm. possibilities are endless so like i guess so we're talking about world building we figured out okay the story is going to take place here or whatever we're going to do a classic fantasy let's just run with one let's say we're going to run like the most stereotypical DD high fantasy there's knights there's kings there's magic there's dragons Mm -hmm. all of it right um how much world building do i have to do like do I have to create the entire universe, the world, the country? Uh, how far, how deep do I have to go? Every single god, every single location it, name, tavern name. It really like, depends on your players. It really depends on how interested your players are. I know for me, I don't have to do a lot of world building beforehand like i have a kind of like broad picture of what's going on but for the most part my characters are more concerned in the what's here in front of me aspect of things so i will put things in front of them in the moment to kind of flesh out ideas and plot points and stuff like that rather than have a whole bunch of i kind of just come up with it on the fly for the most part yeah rather than have a bunch of stuff written down and all that hoo-ha I, I say who hot the people uh-huh. who can world build like that and have giant expanses of notes and stuff like that. I applaud them, but I have <laughs> way too much <laughs> neurodivergence to do any of that. Yeah, no doubt. I am one of those. My neurodivergence goes in a direction towards lists and notes. <laughs> Mm, and mm. tables and uh what items are available for sale in which stores <laughs> and the names of districts and all of it but i agree that like the players will dictate a lot of how much world building is necessary uh a lot of that can be set up in session zero where expectations mm. can be made for example in my modern day city one i took a map of manhattan I took the neighborhoods of Manhattan, such as like, um, geez, like Midtown, Upper West Side, uh, Greenwich Village, Little Italy, Chinatown, and I just renamed them different things. Whatever. Midtown West is now Minotaur West. Greenwich Village is Gnomewitch Village. Like, it's a joke. 
<laughs> and then is, I that's... just I've listed like okay, in Gnomewich Village, what is there? I was like, well, it's it's everything is slightly smaller because a lot of smaller folk live there, like halflings and gnomes and whatever else, goblins and stuff will live there. So like the street signs are all a little bit smaller. And here are the stores that are available. There's a uh, a store called Heat, H E A T, and it is a uh, strip club and a place to buy guns. So it is a double entendre wow. of the word heat. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and it is amazing. Clever. And it's um, halfling men on stripper poles. Um, but then if you, go <laughs> in, if you go past that and avert your eyes, you can go and buy some ammunition <laughs> for firearms. Um, wow. Yeah. So, but that's, in that game, there's only Sphinx City. It's only the boroughs that are in what, what I changed from Manhattan. There's no Bronx. There's no Staten Islands. Like, we don't go outside this borough. But I've crammed it with so many. I mean, think about how many buildings there are in Manhattan, right? Like, oh, yeah. in theory, you, there's, uh, you could, people do. You could stay in Manhattan and never leave it and have everything you need. And that's what I'm doing. So there's no reason to go to other cities or whatever. I reference them, but barely. I don't even have a name for the country we're in. Hilarious. Yeah, everything is Sphinx City. Like the police department, the mayor, everything is Sphinx City. There's no discussion. <laughs> uh, other than I think I flavored the Feywild as Italy. So, like, when they go to an Italian <laughs> festival or like Little Italy is Little Feywild. It's a Feywild festival. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <coughs> so, like, if that's, you can, if you can really speak good. Sylvan, you can speak Italian. Is how I yeah, have that. Yeah. Okay. Up. That's world building. Gotcha. <laughs> world building, baby. And it comes up in like a New York City style game a lot because like there's Italian food, and uh, Ali's character who is from the Feywild and therefore from Italy, she has like really strict standards of like what is good Italian food and what's not. So like of course I introduced a version of Olive Garden, but I called it the Olive Yard. But where you're nice. if you're here than your neighbors and that's so good endless breadsticks and <laughs> you can that's so good um she hates it every time i make her go there because like uh-huh they have a connection with the police and the and that that cop is like yeah let's meet over at uh the olive yard they got endless mm. breadsticks they're doing brunch and she's like brunch an italian place would never do brunch like what is for brunch and it was just like pancakes and stuff and she was like what nice is this pancakes <laughs> and mimosas so there we go brunch baby <laughs> i'll have a grand slam and the waiter had to break his heart and be like, sir that's denny's <laughs> sir that's denny's and he was like i'm so sorry i'm so embarrassed <laughs> i'll just have those silver dollar pancakes with the icing hilarious so much fun world building is everything but so i agree at the end of the day (laughs) back on topic how much do you need to do it only is necessary as how far are your players going to go where are they going if they're if they're not leaving the city then you never have to talk about do you do anything that's outside the city other than maybe backstory stuff like are you playing a one shot are you playing a campaign a campaign that's also a big thing like Like you can one shot world building is very minimal super focused yeah Yeah. it's it's very focused you're gonna only focus on exactly where the story is supposed to go because one shots kind of have to be 
railroady. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing a longer campaign, then it's still like you can do it at the speed of your players. Like, are your players traveling from A to B and you know that it's going to take two sessions? Then, like, you don't have to make B right this second, but like, that's up to you and how much free time you have and how much time you're willing to d- invest in this without it like affecting your life in a negative way where you're like, right. do- only doing All D&D I'm stuff. doing is writing D&D. All the streets have names now. (laughs) It's like you didn't have to do that. That's the other thing. Like sometimes it's not even just like all the places like, okay, I have to name every single city in the town in the, um, excuse me, every single city in the country. No, no, no. Yeah. Even looking closer in, like in the city, you don't have to name every shop, not every shop. You're, you're some things you're going to not think of. Like eventually the players, Every shop is named the same fucking thing. You can come up with so many fun shop names. And, like, if you're really nervous about it and you want to come up with, like, good names or, like, names that are at least a little bit clever that you're not, like, but you don't want to spend 80 million years thinking about it, then there's fantasy name generators, and they have, like, so many different options on there. You can go to, like, their Dungeons & Dragons option, and it will have, like, names for characters, like, all the they'll list all the different playable races and even some npc ones and you can just click on one and here i'll just click on goblin and it shows a bunch of names zruck there you go there's a name yep red eye yeah smug cheeks whatever right like done i have a name and then i can come up with something past that like but they also have names for places and locations so you can type in like oh i need a name for the harbor i click on harbor it's called Hurricane Harbor. Dunzo. <laughs> like, Easy. if you're really worried about it. But at the end of the day, like, your players are going to ask for something where you're like, oh, shit. Like, even in the game I was yeah. just describing about Manhattan, like, they asked for it to go to the dump. And I was like, oh, I didn't really think of the dump. But they wanted to go to see if there was scrap metal because they want to melt it down and make more bullets. And I was like, okay, that's fucking cool. So, yeah, now there's a dump. And guess what? I just called the Sphinx City Dump. Done. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Easy. And honestly, though, why would it be named anything else? Exactly. <laughs> like, unless it was like a privately <laughs> owned dump. dump, I guess. But like, I was like, right. no, man, we want to be, we're the cool dump. Yeah. Bring your trash to us. So I, I that was easy. But like, yeah, it's like, yeah. I think if you're a first timer and you're getting into world building, start small, start with just the major things that are directly involved with the story and go from there. And if you're ever having like a writer's block or something like that, then read a book or watch a movie or yeah. read like D&D, other D&D stories and adventures and modules for inspiration or even use it as a Kickstarter, like as the starting block. Read yeah. Curse of Strahd and then you can set your story in Barovia. You can use Strahd and run the story right from the book or you could even just use the setting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Nothing against that. That's what I did. That was my first one. I took the Forgotten Realms and Waterdeep and Neverwinter and the Sword Coast and the Savage Frontier and Faerun and all of that. Tribor, Nesme, all of that was previously established. And I just right. took all the things I wanted and none of the things I didn't want. So easy. Yeah. <laughs> and then I filled in all the blanks. So I would literally go on to like Forgotten Realms Wiki 
type in Nesme, it gives me a couple names of like the government, the who ran it, the history. Like they have raids with giants. So I was like, sick. That's story number one. Everyone meets in the tavern, and then boom, giants start attacking. The head of the military comes over and says, hey, I have to handle these giants. Can you guys go find the farmer's wife? She was dragged into the woods. And you guys, of course, will say yes because you're going to throw me a bone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that kickstarts the whole adventure. And now that's, that was almost three years ago. And now we're mm-hmm. finally getting back to Nesme to take down the fucking giants. Yes. Yeah, Talk uh, about world building. It all started from me reading about the history of Nesme. Circle. There's yeah. no corners. My, one of my favorite things to do as far as like using pre-developed settings is you kind of already touched on it a little bit, a little bit, but like I steal from books all the time. All of my settings come from a really good book that I've read or a short story or something like that, where I'm like, that is a really cool setting and I want to flesh it out even more, or I want to have, you know, live in that setting basically. Yeah. And then basically you, it's because it's something that I've kind of experienced quote unquote by reading it or something like that. It's really easy for me to pull that information back out when the players do ask for it. True. 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 Yeah. I mean that oh, it works for me too. I mean, just as much. Cause like, dude, I'm with sword coast Q. It's so easy for me to draw information, at least big picture information. Obviously the, little tiny nuances of how you guys have changed the story and made it your own. Right. Those right. are a little bit harder to remember unless I'm taking better notes, but like a lot of it is so ingrained in my head. Like I know everything that's about to happen for the next like several parts. Mm-hmm. I know the order of the cities you're going to go to. <laughs> oh, I'm going to fuck with that now. <laughs> I mean, like we'll see, I but I, mean, I, would. I don't know why I would. <laughs> yeah. It's, it makes sense to do it this way, but right. um, I mean, yeah, I have ways, uh, I have, I have reasons there. I have a plan. There's a reason mm-hmm. I told you in confidence about uh, Ian taking down the purple worm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I know the, the plan was when on our way back, like let's take on the giants and on our way back to water deep, we'll take on the purple worm. We'll take on the worm. Yeah. And that's fine. And everything you're not going to have time. Okay. You're not going to have time to take on the worm. Bigger, pressing, more important issues. But first, right, the giants. Enough. First, the giants. First, the um, giants. Then the dragon. And that's, that's a little example of, like, how much world building do you as the DM have to know versus how much of the world do your players need to know? Yeah. So, like, yeah, I remember I talked about when I'm starting a session, especially a first session, like the first session of a campaign or a one-shot, I always like to do a quick little monologue, a couple paragraphs describing the world, the setting, relevant history that brings us into the world. Like I'm creating a world where there was a big world war 20 years before our story takes place. So naturally, and it's pretty important. Like it kind of shaped history. Mm -hmm. It was like, you know, world war two for us shaped history. It changed so many things, right? Like it's a huge part of, why things are the way they are now. And like in a similar way, I'm going to mention it quickly at the top and also describe, I don't know, important figures or whatever is important that the players do need to know or probably already know some of which in character creation. 
but regardless, it it's kind of like, what would their character know? If their character would know it, then that's how much world building you need to let them know about. <laughs> yeah, really and honestly, it's 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 all based on the players, man. Like, what are they most interested? What do you want them to be interested in? Just to kind of keep the the story moving, because mm -hmm. the last thing you want is for it to just stagnate because nobody knows what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely a huge part of. When we get into plot, we'll talk about that because that's a huge part of world building is just using information to propel the plot and using the setting as well as characters like NPCs are two good mm -hmm. ways to push things in the right direction. Making sure that there's conflict, that there's something to yeah. do. <laughs> you want it to be yeah, yeah. what there is to do. What are my options? It's one thing to have like it be very sandboxy and be like, but sandbox to me just means There's, there are many options, yeah. which is fine, but you don't want to analysis paralysis the players, and you also don't want to have their it feel like inconsequential, like have, like give their, give some meaning to this conflict. Yeah, but yeah, I just think um, you don't want it to be like okay, well you can go fight goblins, or you can go fight wolves, or you can go fight bears. Pick one. Yeah, like that's no fun. That's no fun. But you can be like. You have to take down this bad guy. You can do it sneaky, sneaky way, or you can go in guns blazing with this bomb. And it's like, <laughs> all right, all right, what should we do? <laughs> but past that, I think the only other things the player needs to know, other uh, parts of world building, other than like what their character would know and what uh, you feel like they need to know in order to mm -hmm. get a good idea of what to do next and what parts of the story are important, is like parts of your world building as dm that are important to you such as i know i make it a big point in my games to always talk about how like i know that in normal rules is written dnd &D lore which are not necessarily rules but in dnd &D lore like for example elves and orcs like hate each other so much right they have this yeah intense hatred for each other there are all kinds of races throughout D&D &D lore who do like slaves and stuff like mind flares and uh, some drow and even I, it's a whole thing. I don't do that. And I just let my players know, hey, that's my a little thing of world building that I'm imposing. We're going to yeah. live in Faerun, but like I don't give a fuck what happened in a book, a novel that was written about Faerun. If it had slaves, I don't fucking care. That's not part of my story. <laughs> They, that can stay over there. Yeah, I'm not doing that here, and we're all going to be better off. Everything's going to be better. Yeah, so there's no, like, I try and take away some things, like, that you can have an evil orc kill your parents. That's totally fine. Just understand that, like, they were evil, and they happened to be an orc. They were not evil because they were an orc. And as long as you get right. the difference, we're, we're going to be golden. Pony boy. Pony boy. Pony boy. <laughs> Okay. You don't get that reference, sure. the outsiders, uh, <laughs> or whatever it was. Uh, I forget. Yeah, okay, so no. yeah, let's talk about NPCs. Let's talk. Speaking of Pony Boy, let's talk about NPCs. Okay, that is a that is a non-playable character. That is all the little peoples that are not your players, basically, or non-player character. I guess and NPC in the in NPC in like a video game sense would be non-playable. NPC in D and D sense is non-player character. That's pretty much everybody but the players. 
So all your shop people, yeah. all your little townspeople, your big bads, your enemies, all of that stuff is all covered under this beautiful umbrella of NPC. That's exactly right. It's all, all the different people in the town. It's everybody interacting with your players that are not one of the other players. It's pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also includes like monsters and stuff like that too because you don't want to think of a monster is an NPC. Like it, we could call it a monster, but it, and it kind of like, in a way it sounds so interesting to talk about that, like the ethics of calling it a monster. Cause like monster kind of has like a negative connotation of it being like this dumb, stupid thing, like this animalistic beast. You call something a monster, but like, it's not that like you can use so many monsters as important and intelligent, interesting, complex characters. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. You look in the monster manual. There's so many cool things that you can use and you can world build with or uh, flavor your world with and, and have them be someone as simple as a shopkeeper who has a dark and interesting history. Like it could be a Rakshasa in disguise or something like that. Or yeah. maybe there's doppelgangers that are running the moving company. I don't know. <laughs> my, my favorite is to have, uh, and I stole this from Avatar, but... You have one NPC in the village, and depending on where the players go, he'll go and switch hats to whatever. Like, if they want to go buy something, he'll go, oh, sure, I'll go get my brother. And then he ducks behind the counter and changes his hat to something else, pops up. It's like, okay, what can I get you? Wait, aren't you the same? No, that was my brother, Tim. I'm Jim. I remember that. And (laughs) so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's That's a a fun thing. I do think that having a good handful of planned NPCs, um, at least the biggest ones that I plan are the, the quest givers and the, the, like the important people. Definitely. Like the, like the, the heads of state and whatnot. And then all the other guys I kind of just come up with on the fly, but like yeah. the plot, the plot people, those are pretty much, if they're directly involved in the plot, then yes, you're going to get some kind of a backstory and what have you, but everybody else, uh, maybe I'm a bad DM. I don't know. <laughs> it's different. <laughs> I don't styles. really claim those guys too much. Yeah, yeah, no, it's just different styles. It's, it's how much are you going with in terms of like your world building? Like I, I think for me, my planned NPCs go as far as my world building goes, which is like, mm-hmm. for me, I'm, I'm all about it. I like having the names planned out of taverns and theaters and shops and markets. I want, I like everything to have its own name. I'm like so neurotic about stuff like that. I want everything to have its own name. And if I'm going to introduce this bar, I'm going to have a barkeeper like planned. And that's just me. Like every plant place has a person that is a point of contact and it might only be just one. And it's not even like Mm -hmm. the owner or anything. It's just like, when you go in, this is the dude you talk to. Right. You know, like I did in the Sphinx City game. Have you heard of FAO Schwartz, the toy store that was in New York City? Mm-hmm. So I changed it to FAO Gnomes. And when you walk okay. in, you meet a gnome who's like uh, middle-aged and he's dressed all sparkly and he goes by Twinkle. And as soon as you tell him that you're there not for toys, you're there for like magic items and stuff. His voice drops, so he starts with being like, Hi, welcome to FAO Gnomes. And then you're like, Yeah, we're here for like healing potions and like magical weapons. He's like, Oh, all right. 
yeah, come through the elevator here. <laughs> yeah, I'll show you the great. good stuff. <laughs> and, like, you take a secret elevator down below, like, <laughs> below, like, ten floors, and it's just, like, this massive Costco version of, like, John Wick. <laughs> like, magic mm-hmm. weapons and, like, all this kind of stuff. Insane. So much fun. But that's all I had. It was just, like, all you need to know is Twinkle. I don't even know if I gave him another name. <laughs> it's just like sometimes my NPCs twinkle, yeah. that are planned, it's not like they don't, I don't have his backstory, right? It's literally just like the biggest thing I remember about him is the voice change. Right. He had twinkle. I'm cute little gnome. I run the toy store. Ha ha ha. And then being like, all right, that's just an act I do. Like it's a character I'm playing. You want right. you here for the good shit? All right, get in the elevator. <laughs> and that's it. It's like, most of my NPCs, I might God, have their I name. Hate kids. Yeah. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I have their name and I have like one or two, like I might put a note about like what kind of voice they'll have because I, I like doing voices. So I'll put mm-hmm. like Australian or uh, British, fucking New York, like whatever. And then, right. then it's just like one note about their personality or maybe about how much information they might have. Like when you guys went to Manischewitz, Spock, and Lily, I had Mm -hmm. specifically down for each of them how much information they had and like what they looked like. And it was as simple as that. And Spock was the only one without any injuries, which was the clue, but it never came up. (laughs) Huh. Lily had like a broken arm and Manischewitz was like walking with a limp or something. I thought it was weird that she was like, working with a broken arm and bank just stay home i know <laughs> i know it was like it was like without Deerta, it would have taken them a lot longer to fix the whole oh thing my, like but um like oh my god you guys need to get some paid vacation yeah you guys need like, a union you, you gotta you gotta you, gotta <laughs> you, you gotta work they got there's got to be enough people in this town that you don't have to work with a broken arm for sure um <laughs> plus i had it so that it was like Spuck, like when you went over to Spuck, you were like, uh, hey, what happened here? And he was like, how much do you already know? And you said, I heard a purple worm came and it crashed into the wall and it went away and there might have been some knolls and da da da. And he just went, yeah, that's, that's what happened. And so then he didn't have to add any more because, so like technically he didn't lie. He just was like, yep, that's what happened. And he uh-huh. never was, it was never like, did you see something different? Did you see something extra? And it was like, dun, dun, dun. well, at that point, I feel like we had already been like solo adventuring me and dear tough. I know, <laughs> I know it was, it was 45 minutes. And I was like, we should get back to the group. I know. We've been sitting here and it was and all just about, about the purple room stuff. Yeah. So it was like, not, yeah. the, not the most important stuff, but I was NPCs like, what do you know? Oh, more of the same. Okay, cool. See ya. Yeah. That's really, that's how that conversation went in my mind. It was just like, okay, cool. I've gotten the same account from two different people. I guess it's, uh, number three is going to be the same thing, right? Yep. Okay, cool. Let's go. Yeah, pretty much. It works. Power of threes. But those are planned NPCs. You have a moment to think about some personality traits, some things that make them stand out, um, some things that don't make them stand out if maybe you're trying to have them be kind of behind the scenes. Just remember this, when you're coming up with NPCs and world building and stuff like that, a a quick word to the wise, if you want there to be a secret society or a secret cult or all those kind of things, if you make it too secret, 
Your players are never going to know about it. And then at that point, why is it in the game? Right. If your players can never find out about it, then it might as well not exist. Right? Like you need them to, you need the secret society to fuck up once or twice so that the players can even learn they exist. I think about that all the time about how it's like, all right, I love doing secret cults, secret societies. I think they're so cool, but they have to be bad at being secretive. Right. (laughs) Right. You need them to leave a clue or to be spotted, excuse me, to be spotted in a dark alleyway. Like you need something. Somebody whispers the name of it. Like something has to slip. But speaking of of secrets, every once in a while, your characters are going to ask for secrets in the names of, NPCs that you do not have planned and you are not uh, prepared for. What do you do? Tony. Tony it is. No. Uh yeah. No, I um so for like unplanned NPCs, like I said, I'm a big pantser. Like I will I fly by the seat of my pants when I'm doing DM stuff. So You're a, a lot big of pantser? Pantser. So so hold on. So pan- so you have planners like planners and pantsers. No, no, you got planners and pantsers. Planners are like you. You plan the whole thing out, right? And like you have an outline, and you have this character's like this, and this character's like that. And you have people who are pantsers who fly by the seat of their pants. And I have just a a handful of like gimmicks in my head, like you were saying about the high voice, low voice type of thing, the thing with the hat, um, a couple of different accents or funny voices or something like that that I've just kind of got. And I'll just use whatever feels right in the moment. Yeah. Um, as far as like that type of thing. Um, the Tony thing is kind of a running joke uh, with my group of like, there's every town's got a Tony and one of my characters is basically in the mob. So like every town's got a Tony and Tony is always going to do what Gexus wants him to do. That's it. You're always going to be able to find some dude in this town named Tony who's going to be able to do whatever you want him to do. He's got a, he's got a New York accent. doesn't matter where he's from. Bang, bang. Yeah. No, I love that. I For me, a big crutch, and I, it is a crutch a little bit, but like it's fine. It doesn't really matter, right, who you're trying to impress, um, is fantasy name generator. Oh, yeah, 100%. Having it, having it open, having names. it on, open to Dungeons & Dragons and all of the different playable races there. They have little tiny pictures for each little thumbnail. So it's like I can look at that list, get a quick idea of like, okay, you know what? This one's going to be a changeling, but they're in their normal form. They're not like using a disguise or anything like that. Click on that. Let's get some names. Here's a name. Uh, Rune. Done. So, and then I just think of a voice really quick. Hello, my name's Rune. How you doing there? It is alright. Name's Rune. I'm in charge of these stables. <laughs> My father's stables. And his father's stables before him. I like horses. <laughs> Listen here, goblin girl. <laughs> Shut your mouth. No! <laughs> I will not be silenced! You can't take me alive! Ow! Your butt! Ow! Stop biting me. Stop it. Stop it. Hey, stop it. And there you go. World building. I mean, there you go. So we have, we have stables. We have stables. They come from old money. They're very anti-goblin. We don't know why. 
And as a result, they have <laughs> justice has been thrust upon them in the form of ankle biting. <laughs> a small goblin girl got her comeuppance. <clears throat> and that's all from unplanned yep. <laughs> improvised NPCs. I mean, yeah, yeah, it really she, is she just didn't a even get named. Like, she was she didn't even have a name. It just kind of came no, out. No, sometimes it won't come up. That's the fun part about right. being a planner. As a planner, when you do plan uh-huh. and it doesn't come up, because that's the risk yeah, you take. That's but, my biggest. That's like one of my biggest fears. Is like, why am I going to do all this extra work if they're never even going to ask for it? Oh yeah, it happens. It happens sometimes. Sometimes it you come up with a plans and you create so many different locations that are possible to visit in the town you come up with multiple bars what's the point of having five bars don't do it because your players aren't going to go to five bars they're going to go to one bar if they like it they're just going to keep going back to that bar Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like what are we doing (laughs) unless you like tell them a famous tradition in this in this town is to do a bar crawl where you're going to all the bars in one night that's a fun idea Mm -hmm. for a rp session and then you can throw in combat in the in the form of a fight pit or a arm wrestling competition or maybe there's some pickpocketers who try and steal your guys coin from your drunken pockets all kinds of ideas world building world boom world building so bang done from there i mean it's like (laughs) i think you just it's one of those things that you're also just going to get better over time yeah the more you practice right like it's going to come up you can in the beginning, no one's going to give you shit. Like if, as long as you're playing with good people who are decent, no one's going to give you shit. Yeah. If the, you get caught off guard and your NPC's name is Mark and they're a human and they have red <laughs> hair, no one's going to hate you for that. Right? Like uh, as long as they're a decent person, no one's going to throw tomatoes at you when you, your first character's name is, uh, you know, <laughs> Oh man. Think of some funny, that Justin. one world. Justin, think of something funny. Uh, as long as there they're, they're the- uh, as long as if they're named Martha Washington, um, we played this one world um, <laughs> where everybody in the world was a one of like the w- animal races in D anD. d Like there were no humans, no elves, no dwarves, no orcs, none of that. It was like Aarakocra and uh, the Tabaxi, whatever the Tabaxi, and all those kind of races and. Uh-huh. Um, but there's one character, there's one NPC, the bartender is named Kevin. And he was just a straight oh, up yeah. regular dude. And the, it's just the, was the funniest thing because, Ooh, he's exotic because it's, he's, and he's just a normal dude named Kevin who works at the bar, but he just kills it in tips because he's the only human in the town. And it's what, that was just such a funny little thing. Yeah. Seriously, I love stuff like that. It's always fun to have the, an improv moment turn into a long-standing, like, memorable thing. For example, like, that happened with us a little bit when the first time you guys were traveling through Tribor, and somebody had asked for a post office or some way to send mail, and I don't think I had thought of that in my mm-hmm. original planning, you know? Like, I had names of a couple shops two different kinds of inns names of a place you could rent like horses and mounts and a temple or whatever right the name of the government mm. main government building 
but I didn't have a post office. So then in comes completely improvised the Birdman, a <laughs> a dwarven man who can't read or write, <laughs> who handles <laughs> the, the town's post, and he does so with a, a very large flock of various types of birds, all different mm-hmm. kinds, kinds of birds. Uh, you can send mail express, and he has falcons. Uh, that can get there as fast as possible. He has albatrosses for long distance mail. He's got peacocks if you're looking to send something with a little bit of flair. All different kinds of stuff. He'll send a parrot if you want a word message, a vocal message to be relayed. What a fun NPC to create. <laughs> yeah. And then just being like, how stupid is it that he can't read or write? Like that's so, that's funny. so funny. And when I say yeah, stupid, I mean like so stupid funny. funny. Like it's like Napoleon yeah. Dynamite level funny, where I'm just like, that's yeah. so dumb, but I love it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like there's no and reason. The, some for of that, the best ideas but... come from being put under the gun like that. Like you're just like, oh crap, I don't have that guy. Uh, go, yeah. and you'll In come up with something same. really, really dumb. That's what. That's how Kevin got created too. Because like we were all sitting around, like, oh, it's the bartender. Who's the bartender? It's it's Kevin. He's just the only human in the entire town. Exactly. Exactly. So, (laughs) speaking speaking of Kevin killing it, let's talk about monsters. Let's talk about oh hey villains and all that good stuff. Because I think for me, world building and the idea of the conflict the comes mm. in the form of the characters trying to impose that conflict, the things that you're going to fight, because we talked so many episodes ago about how important combat is, how it's such a big part of the game. Well, who are you yeah. fighting in that combat? Right? I mean, you can only mm-hmm. fight inanimate objects for so long before it's like, all right, we got to fight a character and something. Yeah. Monsters and are a, a different form of NPC that are specifically there for, conflict and also you can use them for not conflict like they can just be an npc because you can have like i don't know a dryad is like in the monster manual but it can be like a helpful companion whatever but monsters are so cool so good for story building you can use some of the lore you can use just a little bit of the lore none of it how just using the stat block you can use some of the abilities themselves just to come up with ideas for stories and plots and settings um yeah i mean there's so many examples it really is yeah how creative can you get with it and you can for a, a lot of stuff i mean just real quick touching on stats like even your commoner NPCs have a stat block, like your normal average Joe sitting, like walking down the street has a stat block. Commoner stat block kind of sucks. I think it's just tens across the board and then one HP. I think you're right. It Um, might be more than one HP, but I think you're right. Regardless, it might be like five or 10 or something, but yeah, I don't, um, it's not a lot like, cause your average level zero person doesn't have the say like, your players are basically demigods by the end of the by the end of the campaign compared to usually stew on the street <laughs> stew stew and Dee. Uh, but like the the biggest way that you can tell how tough a monster is like when you're comparing it to 
your players, because obviously you're not going to be used fighting them with commoners, um, is to look right at the top of the stat block, right, pretty much right under the name. It'll say challenge rate or challenge rating or CR, whatever. It ranges from like a quarter to like twenty something, I think. It goes uh, um, zero to thirty. Zero to thirty. Okay. Yeah, because if you think about like a lot of like familiars, like those one okay. hit point things. Yeah, yeah, zero. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, I guess commoners level zero. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and then it goes to one quarter, one half. Uh, it might even have one eighth, but I'm not. I don't remember. But then it just goes to one, two. Three, four, five, all the way up to thirty for a Trask, I believe. There okay. might be one or two other things in like supplemental stories, but yeah. But yeah, challenge rating is um, it's under the statistics. Uh, it's under like the base stats and stuff like that, right under languages. If you're looking at a stat block in the monster manual or something like that, like right now, I have pulled up Ancient Red Dragon, which has a challenge rating of twenty-four. Um, which also is related to like a certain number of experience points, which is one of the ways of leveling up. If that's a question for the DM, but I don't use XP. So I ignore the hell out of that. (laughs) Yeah. No, thanks. I don't need the extra math milestone all the way. (laughs) A hundred percent. But yeah. And like, I think just real quick on the, uh, on the, the whole, uh, challenge rating thing before we move on. A general rule of thumb, as far as I'm concerned, is like the challenge rating is almost like what level one player would have to be to be able to beat this thing for the most part. So like if I have a CR CR seven monster, a single level seven player is about the equivalent of that kind of strength wise. Now, granted, you're hardly ever going to be running with one single player. So, once you start adding more monsters, mm. the challenge rating there's weird. There's like a weird math that you got to do for like because of the action economy and all this, that, and the third. Um, shit, but like by level seven, I was throwing level fourteen stuff at them, and they were just walking on it. So it really depends on how good your players are, how many players you've got. Depends on that yeah but if you pay attention to it as you're give as you're throwing monsters at your players as long as you're paying attention to the challenge rating as you go along you'll be able to scale that better yeah like you'll be able to make those you'll you'll be able to make those adjustments to crs kind of match up yep it takes practice it takes practice Mm -hmm. and challenge rating isn't perfect no, I think in the future not. we'll do we'll do some episodes where we go over monsters in like great detail. Like maybe we can go over like in one episode we do our favorite CR one monsters, our favorite CR two monsters, so on and well, so forth, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'll sh- I'm sure we'll show that like even in the same challenge rating, there's like one monster that's like definitively better than the others. <laughs> right. Even though they're the same challenge rating, and it like really depends, like. Um, there's a, I think a Bodak is challenge rating four or five, I think. Mm-hmm. And they can't, they're not doing a ton of damage and all that kind of stuff, but they have one ability where if they look at you and you look at them and you fail the constitution saving throw, you're, you're zero hit points immediately. Yeah. And like, now you That's have to spend huge. the whole battle choosing not to look at them. 
um, and risk mm-hmm. the saving throw again, but it can change the game. But other than that, they're, it's not that strong. It's not hard to hit. It doesn't have a ton of hit points. It just has this one dope-ass ability. Fire, croc, fire rocket kind of thing where it just goes off, makes a pretty sound, mm-hmm. and that's it. But um, I love using yeah, like online calculators. Yeah. I don't mess D&D around Beyond with like... has a good one. Yeah. However you find it's it, I medium, like it as yeah. a base point. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like I don't put every... I'm not like, oh, this says that it's deadly, therefore it's definitely deadly. Bullshit. Uh-uh. Like... Uh-uh. It all Setting depends on important. the character. It Players depends. are important. Yeah, exactly. How broken are your characters? <laughs> um, what's the action economy look like? Because I've had their times being like, okay, they're versing one like CR twenty monster, and they make it. It's so easy for them to kill it because even though it's CR twenty, it doesn't have any legendary actions, so it's only going once per turn. And then I have four players who are summoning things. There's actually like seven different <laughs> PCs on the board now. And it's easy work. But then if on the flip side, balancing is the understanding that I could throw a million zombies at them. If your AC mm-hmm. is 21 without shield it's never and zombies happen. only have a plus three or four to attack, it's never mm-hmm. happening unless I'm rolling nat 20s. Like... It doesn't matter how many there are. Yeah. So balancing is understanding walking the thin line of you want action economy is very important. You want there to be a somewhat right. equal number of actions being taken by both sides. I find that to be really nice unless the actions are like fucking OP. Like for the example, I just ran with uh, a monster from Cobalt Press, the Tome of Beasts, the Witch Queen, and she can cast a spell on her turn and then legendary action it's two legendary actions, but she can cast another spell. So right, that's insane. Let's uh, <laughs> yeah let let's let's actually. So we we brought up the the red dragon before, and we're throwing around a lot of things like legendary actions and all this and the third. Let's get into why an ancient red dragon is a CR twenty four monster as opposed to these onesie twosies that we've been talking about with like little crappy things. Like ancient red dragon is a CR twenty four for a reason. Yeah, it is. You know it. It's the the crazy things. One of the, some of the crazy things about it: five hundred and forty six hit points and an AC of twenty two. It's gonna Insane. be really hard to hit this thing. And if you do, it's got a lot of health. Um, it's got a lot of health. <laughs> it's got a lot of so it's got a plus uh, ten to strength. It's got a plus nine to constitution. Intelligence, wisdom, and charisma all have pluses. It also has. Increased perception, increased stealth. It's immune to fire. It can. It has blind sight for sixty feet, dark vision for one hundred and twenty, dark vision for one hundred and twenty feet, and its passive perception is twenty six. That means <laughs> your players, for a stealth roll, have to beat a twenty six passive to be able to sneak yep. up on this thing. And don't forget those saving throws. Monsters will often oh, yeah. have, like a player, it's normal for a player to only have two of their saving throws be proficient, but monsters, sometimes they'll have none of them be proficient, and then you just have to use the normal like, abilities, but mm-hmm. sometimes it will list saving throws that they're proficient in, and in an ancient dra- red dragon, it's what four of them. So dexterity, yeah. which is normally a plus zero, now their saving throw is a plus seven. 
Constitution of plus 16. <laughs> Wisdom plus 9. Charisma plus 13. Like, come on, man. Yeah. That's why Yeah. it's nuts. We're lucky that this ancient red dragon doesn't have to concentrate on any spells because you are not <laughs> dropping yeah. that spell, dude. And we're still just talking about stats. There's yeah, so much more to stats. this that first and foremost, legendary resistances. This is huge. A large portion of your boss monsters are going to have this. Basically, what a legend, what legendary resistance is, three times a day, if the dragon fails a saving throw, it can just choose to succeed. So, if it fails whatever thing, in whatever unlikely event that you throw something at it that it fails the roll on, it can still just be like, nah, I'm still passing that. Yeah, actually, Regardless, for three times a day. Yeah. That's yep. big. And that's something that shows up even in your CR 12 tens. Yeah. Um, no doubt. Or really, really early on. Um, you'll see that in a lot of boss blocks um, just because it, it does, it makes the fight harder just it sure in does. itself because you know, that whole person's not going to take because he's just going to choose to not fail. Right. It forces the, uh, it forces the combat to take longer because it takes uh -huh. out of commission those spells that could end a combat so fast, like banishment. Mm -hmm. Like, had you guys, let's say, cast banishment on the Witch Queen, she's going back to the Feywild. That's where she's from. So as long as you maintain that spell for a minute or an hour or whatever it is, then she's right. gone. Right. She has to find a way back to the material plane and hunt spells down all over again. But, I mean... <laughs> She was CR 17. The two nuns that you guys were fighting were CR 6. And then Thornsteel is a level 17 fighter. Battlemaster. Right. But he's using PC stats. So he's not technically a CR 17. Those don't line up the same way. Like, Excuse God bless me. you. Like a CR 7 uh, monster and a CR and like a level 7 uh, like fighter are not necessarily the same. There's like little differences. Right. I've learned that the hard way because I use PCs to create villain NPCs. Yeah. That's a good move. So you have to keep in mind a lot of, it, it is very different, but right. let's mean, move on. So yeah, like legendary resistances are absolutely huge. A lot of monsters aren't going to have those. And then you just have to roll the punches. You just got to play things fair. You fail saving throw. Yeah. They banish your monster goes to another plane of existence. Hey man. Just be happy that your players are happy because they did something sick. That's what I always right. try and tell myself when they foil my plans. Because <laughs> it's going to happen. You know what I mean? Oh, darn. But that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then here you're going to find our actions. Sometimes above actions, monsters, they'll, they'll list different kinds of innate abilities. Like things that don't require an action to do. So, for example, sometimes you'll have a monster that will say heated body. That means that their blood runs so hot that when a creature takes a melee attack and you know slices into it, the blood that spurts out onto them causes 2d6 fire damage with every attack if they're within 5 feet. That's just one example. Yeah. Dragons don't have that, so there's no extra well, abilities for us to think about. Well, I think it's the same block as the legendary resistances. It's going to show up in that exactly. same area. Exactly. Yeah, right above, right above actions. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, dragons don't have anything else, so we can move right on to actions. Um, 
They have a multi-attack, a bite attack, a claw attack, and a tail attack. Those are pretty standard. It's going to show you how much to add to your roll, plus 17. Goodness gracious. Pay attention to those reaches because they will often be different for different monsters. For example, an ancient red dragon with its tail can reach 20 feet. Don't worry about creatures being too close to you. Like, you don't have to move all the way in to fight the PCs. Like, their bite attack is 15 feet range. You're good to go. So keep that in mind. Tells you how much damage. It's all very pretty basic for that kind of stuff. Then we get into two abilities that make the dragon unique. Uh, the second of which makes the red dragon unique. First of which is Frightful Presence. Creatures that are close to it, that it, it can choose. 120 feet, which is freaking huge. Uh-huh. They make a wisdom saving throw. Uh, if they fail, they're frightened. DC 21 wisdom 21 saving throw. You glossed over that for a second. I a certainly DC did. DC 21 <laughs> wisdom saving throw. <laughs> I certainly did. It's That's wild. pretty big. Uh, but they'll be frightened for one minute. They can repeat the saving throw at the end of each of their turns. If at any point they are successful, then they end the spell. It's not a spell, but they end the effect, rather. And uh, they'll be immune to it for 24 hours. But, I mean, I've never had it work because I always end up just getting a breath attack weapon off. And then my dragon either gets unpolymorphed or gets killed. But uh, tell me a little bit about this fire breath. So, fire breath is fun. The I want to back up just a touch um, and talk about the multi-attack because there is specific wording there as far as like what you can do with multi-attack. You can't just pick and choose what you're doing. It says specifically, the dragon uses frightful presence, then it makes three attack, one with a bite and two with its claws. If you're not doing those four things, you can only do one of the things. So a tail attack is your action. You can't, it does not, you can't use, you can't make three tail attacks at 20 foot reach. That's insane. Correct. Um, One of the other things that you can do. So if you choose not to do multi-attack, you can, one of his other actions that it has is fire breath. So you can do a breath of fire that is a 90 foot cone. Holy shit. Um, yeah, anyway, so 90 foot cone, that means it reaches out 90 feet long and it's 90 feet wide at its widest point. And each creature in that area makes a DC 24 dexterity saving throw, taking 26 D6 fire damage on a failed save or half as much on a successful one. Yeah. So like on average, on average, that's a lot of damage. 91 damage on average. So pretty brutal. The good news about fire breath though. So that's brutal. But the good news is, is it can't just keep doing fire breath every turn. After you use fire breath, you'll see next to the actual action itself. It says recharge five or six. That means that on the start of its turn, you roll a D six. If you get a five or a six, it gets its fire breath weapon back. If you don't get a five or six, it can't use it. That's right. Um, and it's all up so, to the dice. So that's yep. when I like to use digital dice and roll in front of the table for my friends to see. <laughs> yeah, because that's, that's, that's a lot of damage. And that is such a crazy saving throw. It's a nearly impossible saving throw. It's very hard. <laughs> Luckily, there's a first level spell called Absorb Elements that can take away half of that damage even if you fail. Yeah. Absolutely bananas. 
Yeah, the fire breath is amazing. Each dragon's going to have different kinds of breath. Some of them will have even multiple kinds of breath. Those are just dragons, but I mean, you're going to have all different kinds of recharge abilities, yeah. and it'll say different numbers. Sometimes it's four through six. Sometimes it's only a six. Sometimes they'll mm-hmm. have spells. Sometimes they'll have abilities like warlocks, where it'll kind of say you have this many spell slots. You can cast a spell one through fifth level. Sometimes it'll have spells that it'll have a list of like three or four spells and then next to that it'll say three per day each and that means you can cast each of those spells three times in one day that's insane watch out for those guys because man is it nice to throw some spell casting back at your players i'll tell you what people mind god oh it's such a rough spell bang Um, it look it up it's it's quite it's quite the spell. It's called bing Feeble it. Mind, all one word. Eighth Just give level. it a bing. Um eighth level, it's give it rough. a bing. Uh so uh, legendary actions. This is what yeah. makes this creature a legendary creature. Sometimes a legendary creature won't get legendary reactions, and sometimes or excuse me, not reactions, resistances. And sometimes they won't get legendary actions or a different number of legendary actions. So make sure not to make any assumptions and uh, just read that. Just like the multi-attack for the dragon is unique, like Taylor pointed out, the legendary actions can also be unique. Um, In this case, we're taking three legendary actions, choosing from the options below. Only one can be used at a time and only at the end of another creature's turn. So pretty much like Taylor's character takes their action they do a bonus action they move it's the end of their turn now the dragon can take a legendary action i can either detect aka make a perception check garbage never gonna do that tail attack <laughs> I'm let's, let's be garbage. honest let's be honest <laughs> tail, right, right. tail attack the dragon makes a tail attack better closer warmer I have to, I have 20 to feet on that one that one's better. What's up? And then, well, I was just going to say, I once got hired to work for a, um, a third-party D&D writing adventure company or whatever, and mm-hmm. I had to write for them monsters, and one of the monsters I was creating for them was a, ty- a new type of dragon, and I forget I what it was called. It was, like, it was either uh, some kind of like frog dragon or something, a toad dragon. I right. forget. But I gave it... it was, coming up with legendary actions and i came up i kind of just took the ones that every single you can look up almost any single kind of dragon their legendary actions Uh are almost all the same almost Uh there might be one or two but almost all of them have detect tail attack and wing attack which we'll go over in a second and i did the same i kind of kept it pretty similar thinking we don't have to think outside the box that much keep it similar so i did detect and the the people came back to me and were like detect they were like why would uh, I've never seen a, a perception check as a as a legendary action, and I was like, "Dude, look up, never look up ancient red dragon." And I was like, "It's in the ba- <laughs> it's in the player's handbook." I was like, "That's the most basic." Have you, you guys, guys played the game? Right, D and D. You guys write D and D material. I was like, "What are you doing know this? <laughs> Yeah, there was a couple times they were like, they were like, "I don't know if you could do this," and I was like, "Dude, they've done it already." What are you talking right. about? This is not new ground we're breaking here. I know. And then there are other times where I would break new ground and they'd be like, this has never been done before. And I was like, isn't that kind of the point in some ways? Like, what do you guys want to do? Just do the same that's how always been done? Like, 
hey guys, I've heard of this thing I'm going to come up with. It's called Critical Role, and uh, it's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> it's been done before. Just sound, um, sounds just like Critical Role. I know. Anyway, the last That's one is sense. Wing Attack, and in parentheses it'll say cost two actions. So out of your pool of three legendary actions, which will recharge when it gets back to their turn, like when it starts the dragon's turn, they recharge those legendary actions and can take them again. Unlike the legendary resistances, which only recharge on a full day. These are every single round. But the wing attack, you beat your wings. Uh, each creature within 15 feet has to make a DC 25 dexterity saving oh throw. God. Or take, uh, on average, 17 bludgeoning damage and be knocked prone. And then bad. you can fly that up sucks. to your flying speed. Which is a million billion feet, I'm sure. Where's this flying I think, speed? Uh, flying speed feet. is 80 feet. So yeah, so you can 40 go feet. 40 feet, a whole movement action. Yeah, it's After insane. After knocking everybody to the ground. Insane. Rough. And then, I mean, past that, like I said, every creature that has legendary actions, pay close attention to them. Use them to come up with strategy. Trying to have a good idea of what your monsters are capable of, your reactions. I could not stress that enough. Reactions are so big. A lot of reactions it, are huge. Because we talked about, like, you're often using challenge rating to grade how many or what types of monsters to give your players to fight. Right. And balance is what's going to make it fun. Like, because every once in a while, of course, having there be like just this freaking slaughter <laughs> sometimes that is fun for the players for them to just flex how fucking cool they are sometimes that's right. cool but if it's every single combat then it's like jesus christ guys like what are we doing <laughs> we really are <laughs> gods like let's just skip all the bullshit and go straight to the bbeg because we're crushing everything right like why wouldn't they do that so right. you have to give them some balance and cr is taking all of the abilities and all of the things about this monster into effect. That's why I don't right. love to use homebrewed monsters because I don't know how they're coming up with CR. I know when I come up with my own monsters and I homebrew them and I come up with CR, I'm kind of guessing. I'm like looking at other CR monsters and looking at their armor class and hit points because those are two. Those are the easiest things for you to change on the fly too because right. we'll talk about that in maybe the next episode or the episode after that. We could talk a little bit more about monsters and go into like, dude, how to change them as a DM, how to use them. Yeah. It'd be a good like, world first segment. Yeah. Cause like, man, monsters are going to be so vital to your story. Um, mm -hmm. some are dragons and then others, celestials, constructs, yeah. elementals, fey, undead, humanoids giants fiends there's it, there's so many different types you can use them like after your world is already built and you can use them to fill it in a way that feels right and feels fun for your world you can use the monster as a starting point for the world use as much of the lore that's pre-written for that monster in the monster manual or other, any other textbook um if i may i know we're kind of getting towards the end of the episode let me, or we're pretty much there, but so let me just really quickly bring up this monster that I discovered recently in the Planescape book, and we'll sure, end on that. Sure, sure. <clears throat> Have you ever heard of a time dragon? 
That sounds absolutely horrifying. No, I have not. There's a small note next to an ancient time dragon that says, don't pick fights with dragons, and especially not ones that already remember eating you. (laughs) So, it's a challenge rating 26. Yeah, okay. Let me just tell you... What color is it? Because, like... It's, like, white. Most of the other dragons... With, like, kind of rainbowy crystals all around it. Okay. It looks okay. incredible. It has a time breath yeah. ability, but that's not what I want to talk about. I want to How talk about it. time? Bro, I, I don't, I, we don't have time to talk about it. We don't have time about it. Okay, but so we are okay. going to talk about its time gate ability that it can do once a day. Oh, okay. by the way, it has five legendary resistances because it can control time. Okay, yeah, sure. So we could just delete more, like, wishes for more wishes. Yeah. That's wild. It's got five five legendary resistances. It can take three reactions per round. What? Yeah. Okay. Time, time dragon. Okay, sure. Time gate ability. The dragon conjures a 20-foot diameter circular portal in the space between its horns or in an unoccupied space it can see within 30 feet of itself. The portal links to a precise location on any plane of existence at a point in time up to, ready, 8,000 years from the present, whether past or future. Oh my god. The portal, <laughs> the portal lasts for 24 hours or until the dragon's concentration ends as if concentrating on a spell. Oh my god. So, like I was saying... So that's like you can set up a whole nother world, have them fight this time dragon, and then be like, guess what? We're in this setting now, bitches. You could have the dragon be the quest giver of any campaign you wanted to tell. Any setting that you wanted to explore. Space travel, sci-fi, time dragon takes a bunch of adventures and says, you got to get to the fucking future. Throw them in. You want to go to the ba- to the past with dinosaurs, hardcore survival, crash land on the planet with uh, Adam Driver? Bingo, time dragon. It's crazy. Dude, I'm thinking about writing a game where a bunch of normal ass fantasy like Faerun adventurers come across a time dragon and the time dragon's like, "Dude, there's this bad guy and he's taking over, he's fucking up time. I need you guys to go after him." I'll give you a huge boon if you do it. So you guys have to go into time and space. 8,000 years in either direction. Like, think about what humans in our world were doing. Not even 8,000 oh years, it's DC's dog. Legends of Tomorrow. Well, <laughs> like, we're not even talking. Just in the last 1,000 years, think about how far technology has gone. And then being like, yo, we're going 8,000 years in the future. Bro, we're not even going to be humans at that point. We're going to be a new species. Like, what? <laughs> That's insane. What if we're just jelly people? You don't know. That's where my brain went immediately, too. I was like, we're just going to be a bunch of jelly blobs. It could, be, it could be Planet of the Apes, man. We don't even know. That, I think yeah. time dragons have changed my perspective on what That's 5e crazy. is possible. <laughs> Dude, because I'm thinking... Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's wild. I'm going to have a group of adventurers from... The, I'm going to do a level 20 game. Where it's just going to be like four sessions, level 20, I'm the DM, 
starts with you guys befriending a time dragon. Yeah. Time dragon being like, there's this evil monster that's fucking up time. You have to go in. And then having four different combats in four vastly different worlds. I'm, I'm excited. Like, I want you guys to be like in the middle of like a desert with straight up like B-52 bombers, tanks, and like an infantry and drone strikes all attacking you guys. But you guys are level 20 heroes from fantasy. Like, That's great. I want somebody to disin- cast disintegration on like a bunch of tanks and just have them just. I think that fight would be so insane. <laughs> and I want it to happen. And then I want to go to space. And then I want to go fight dinosaurs. Yeah. And then I want to go fight space laser dinosaurs. Space laser dinosaur tanks. That's where it all comes together. That's full circle there. Anyway, I am looking for a sponsor still. And, um, I I think I might have found uh, another beverage company. Um, they used to do a lot of marketing, but they haven't done any campaigns uh, recently. And uh, it's Mug. You got us sponsored by Mug, right? Mug root beer. Mug root beer. No, no, no. Damn it. Older than Mug. Way older, older than, than mug. mug. Old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the first beverages. But I can't. I can't say anymore. All I can say is that I am running on a platform to give monsters death saving throws. Um, go to our, my website uh, at squarespace.com. Your website and at squarespace.com. No plug there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. That is the plug. That is the plug. Okay, <laughs> type gotcha. In, type in my my, my website, website at dot squarespace.com. squarespace.com. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, we didn't vet that. We're getting website a lot of traffic on accident. We're getting a lot <laughs> we of traffic on accident. <laughs> did not vet that at all. We should probably look into that. We tried to get a GoDaddy. It didn't work. I don't know what Danica Patrick is doing, but all right. I think that's all we can get into this time. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, you can find us on TikTok and Instagram at So You Want to Be a DM, or you can ask us a question at So You Want to Be a DM at gmail.com. Join us next time for more Dungeon Master tips and tricks. Bye. Bye. See you.